Meet me in Psalm chapter 11 in a few moments. Lord, you have been gracious to us in so many ways. You have proven yourself, as the psalm says, or and or. You are good to your people, and we can trust you. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Please give me concision of speech and clarity of mind and conviction of heart to tell the truth of your word to your people this morning. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and talk to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. The old man was tired. A longtime resident of Jerusalem, he had seen so much change, so much turmoil. The Roman government was ever-changing, constantly restructuring. Rulers rose and fell. Now, the ruthless and murderous Herod the Great ruled Israel under the oppressive authority of Rome. The culture in Israel was simultaneously Hellenistic and Roman, a far cry from the Jewish culture he grew up reading about in the Old Testament. He felt like a stranger in his own city, a foreigner in his own country. One would hardly blame Simeon if he had a pessimistic worldview. From the standpoint of many of his Jewish peers, all seemed lost. The Roman Empire held ultimate power over Israel, and even the Jewish priesthood was corrupt. Evil seemed unstoppable. And to make matters worse, the prophets had long since stopped delivering messages from Yahweh. God had gone silent. For many pious Jews, it seemed that God had hid his face from Israel. God seemed invisible. But not for Simeon. He lived with a joyful hope and for good reason. The Holy Spirit had assured him that the consolation of Israel, for which he had been waiting for decades, was on its way. In Luke 2, we pick up a piece of Simeon's story. I'll read it. You stay in Psalm. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. In the middle of a dark period for Israel, when all seemed lost, when evil seemed un... One more and I'm switching to the handheld. It's probably in my pocket. That's okay. I grew up Pentecostal. I'll do the handheld. I'll start yelling at you and you'll, it'll be all right. When all seemed lost... When evil seemed unstoppable and when God seemed invisible, the light of the world made his entrance. God delivered on his promises and sent the Savior. I'm not sure if you know this, but our pastoral staff meets together three times a week to pray for you. 
A couple weeks ago, we were sitting in my office, and we made it. We start, I started writing the list of prayer concerns on my whiteboard, and it spilled over into two columns. And it, it was really clear to us, obvious, that many people in our faith family are walking through a dark and difficult season. Well, I have good news for you. The Lord is still on his throne. You can find encouragement in God's word today. That's my hope, is just to encourage you from God's word today. I'm here to remind you this morning that even in your darkest moments, there is still hope. Because somewhere in the Middle East, there's an empty tomb. And in heaven, there's an occupied throne. God is faithful. And you can trust him on the basis of his character, his word, and his works. So look with me at Psalm chapter 11, if you will. God is faithful even when all seems lost to the choir master of David. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Psalm 11 is here to tell us that God is faithful even when all seems lost. Here's what we're going to do. I have learned under the tutelage of Pastor Jake for more than three years now. So we're going to do four P's in every psalm. Okay, We're going to hear a problem, a promise, a proof, and a practice, okay? And I, I promise you, I'm going to hold your hand through that, okay? I won't let you get lost. Here in Psalm chapter 11, we see a problem right away. The problem is the wicked attack the righteous, and it sure seems like the wicked are going to prevail. Do you see it in the text? The wicked attack the righteous. The wicked threaten David's life here in verses 1 through 2. The wicked even threaten the very foundations of Israel in the first part of verse 3. The wicked threaten to ruin the hope of the righteous in the end of verse 3. Look at verse 3 with me. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Do you hear the helplessness in the people here in the text that are warning David? You notice that there's two voices going on here in this text? David is the one trusting in the Lord, and he's getting some advice, some worldly wisdom from some counselors telling him, Run! Retreat! All is lost! Go to the mountains and hide! And David's confident assertion is, Why should I do that when the Lord is still on his throne? The problem, the wicked attack the righteous, and it seems to most like they'll prevail. But here's the promise in verses 4 through 7. God will avenge the righteous, and God will judge the wicked. David's confident assertion here in verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. 
God is still on his throne ruling and reigning over his people. This is a contrary image to verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, verse 3 shows us some shaky foundations in Israel, but verse 4 shows us that God's throne never shakes. God's throne is the supreme image of stability and order. And verse 1 tells us God will be the refuge of the righteous. David answers his counselors by saying, why should I flee to the mountains like hunted prey? The psalmist knows he is safe in the presence of God. He is safe under the watch care of his creator. God will be the refuge for the righteous. God sees everything and he tests all men. Verse 4. Listen, if you are one of the ones that is walking through a dark season, you need to know God is not taken by surprise. He's not wondering what he should do about your situation. God is on his throne and he sees it all. He knows. He understands. And I'm going to try to make it so clear to you this morning that he is for you. God upholds justice, verses 5 through 7. Now, I know that these verses might be a little unsettling to our modern ears, and I'm not going to try to resolve that for you. It's all right. David asks God to judge the wicked. And in verse 6, we see some imagery that reminds us of Sodom and Gomorrah. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Later in the New Testament, Peter uses this same imagery in 2 Peter chapter, chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, to show us that God rescues the godly from trials but punishes the unrighteous. So here we see, we have a problem, right? The wicked attack the righteous, and it seems like they'll prevail. But we have a promise, God will avenge the righteous, and God will judge the wicked. So how do we know that God's promise will come true? What's the proof? The proof is this, God's character. How do you know that the Lord is good? Because that's who he is. How do you know that the Lord is faithful? Because that's who he is. We trust the character of God. Verse 4 tells us that God is sovereign. I already jumped ahead, but nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing renders God helpless. God doesn't quake. God doesn't cower in fear. God isn't unsure about his solution to the problem. He knows he's sovereign he's also just verses five through six have already told us the wicked may be winning now but righteousness will prevail in the end i don't want you to misunderstand you may be walking through a dark season and it may be that in the lord's sovereignty you die in that dark season i don't want to fill you with a promise that everything's going to work out okay right now. But even if the end leads to death, we can say with the apostle, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We've got eternity in this unshaking temple with the creator God ahead of us. 
He is just. The wicked may be winning now, but righteousness will prevail. We trust in the character of God. And uh, just this past week in my Bible reading, I, I got a, a glimpse of the character of God from Exodus chapter 34. In my estimation, one of the most important and foundational texts in all the Old Testament. I'm just going to read you two verses here. But the context is Moses is meeting with God. He wants to see something from God. He wants to see God's glory. He wants to see his face. And God says, I can't show you my face, but I'll tell you my name. And in verses 6 through 7, says this, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I don't know if you've bought into the lie that the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry and always severe and always out to get you and that the God of the New Testament is merciful and gracious and kind. But I'm here to tell you from the very beginning, our God is merciful. He is forgiving. His disposition toward you is kindness and mercy and grace. He is a merciful God. Yes, but at the same time, he is a just God. He cannot allow iniquity to go on for all time without punishment. So he continues here, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. This is who God is. He is both supremely merciful and perfectly just at the same time. God delights to show mercy, but he will not let sin go unpunished. And we, the people of God, receive mercy through his justice. We receive mercy through his justice. We already heard this morning from Isaiah 53 that promise that the suffering servant is going to bear the iniquity of us all on his body and he is going to return to us forgiveness for that same iniquity. God punished his perfect son instead of his sinful people so that he could show us mercy but it required him to show justice to his son who did not deserve it. Listen, this is the core of the gospel. God is merciful towards sinners. He is just. That's who he is. And you can trust him. In the end, wickedness will not prevail. The Lord loves and rewards righteousness. Verse 7. God is righteous. He loves righteousness. And he rewards the righteous. And how can we be righteous? There's only one answer to that question. By faith in the suffering servant who bore the wrath of God on your behalf. Trust Jesus. Obey his words. So the problem there, the wicked attack the righteous. The promise, God will avenge them and he will judge the wicked. How do we know this is true? His character. So what should we then do? What's the practice for us as the people of God? Put your confident trust in God. Put your confident trust in God. Remember how David's counselors advised him to retreat? I'm here to tell you, like with David, don't cower. 
collapse or flee in fear. But say with David, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Don't cower or collapse in fear. But trust the Lord. April 27, 2011. The small town of Smithville, Mississippi, experienced an F5 tornado. Wiped out the town. Uh, my parents lived there, and my dad pastored at Smithville Baptist Church. And I remember on a Wednesday, I was about to preach to the youth, and I get a phone call from my dad. I didn't even know there was weather in the area. And the call, um, I can recite it to you. He said, the church is gone. I don't know where your mom is. So what am I supposed to do with this news that the phone cut out? What do you mean the church is gone? Where's mom? We got to find her. I couldn't get through. So the very next morning, we travel down to Smithville from Virginia, where we were living at the time. And I saw utter devastation. Never seen anything like it. A town completely demolished. I remember the church building where my dad was standing when the storm hit. You could walk up three steps right onto the balcony. It was flattened like a pancake. You might expect Smithville Baptist Church to call off church services. I mean, where would they meet? Right? And I remember a meeting where the leaders at Smithville were trying to decide what do we do. Just so happened that that next week was Easter. They said, no, we're going to gather. So they rented a huge party tent, holds hundreds of people. And I did not have high hopes for the service that day. I thought, well, everybody's going to be clearing out debris and just trying to put their lives back together. And hundreds of people showed up. Dozens of people gave their life to Christ. When the pastor preached, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, Smithville Baptist Church could very well have cowered in fear, but they resolutely stood and said, no, we will worship the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when pain and trials come into your life, I can't give you any better advice than that. Don't cower in fear, but say, no, I will worship the Lord because of who he is. He is sovereign and merciful and just, and he will avenge the wicked. He will Work on my behalf. We can take refuge in the God who is sovereign, who upholds justice, and who offers mercy. Beloved, believe the psalmist's promise. The righteous can take refuge in our God. Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Shemineth, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. For the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. The tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. 
The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Here in Psalm 12, we see that God is faithful even when evil seems unstoppable. God is faithful even when evil seems unstoppable. Here's the problem. It's right there in the very first words of the psalm. The godly one is gone and the faithful have vanished. I don't think I need to do a whole lot of context work to ask this question. Doesn't this seem true today? The godly one is gone. Where is the godly one? Where are the faithful? We can identify here with Psalm 12, I think, pretty easily. We live in a post-Christian culture. The godly are the minority now. Am I right or am I right? I got the microphone, so I'm right. The godly are the minority. Christians are constantly being opposed and attacked and painted as just moronic idiots for believing that we have a creator God who loved us enough to send his son to suffer in our place so we could be counted righteous before him. That is lunacy to the world. We see obvious evil being promoted as righteousness. Oh, if you don't believe this, then you are just hateful. You're a bigot. We are seen as evil for upholding God's word. How dare you say, I can't love who I want. That's hate speech. The problem is that men have set themselves up as judges over God's word. See that pretty clearly in verses 3 and 4. You've heard it. Maybe in your workplace, maybe at your family reunions. Well, I know the Bible says this, but... My, that's just your interpretation. Or better yet, how, how can God allow blank? And we set ourselves up as judges over God and God's word. Hear the arrogance of the speakers here in verses 3 and 4. I'm going to put God under my judgment. Dangerous place to be. Continuing the problem here, the godly one is gone. Verse 5, the poor and the needy are plundered. Verse 8, vileness is exalted. I'll group those two together because I think they're really up, cut of the same cloth here. The poor and the needy are plundered. Vileness is exalted. Do we not see this now? Do we not see this where we live? I mean, the, the criminal and wicked act of taking an unborn life is not only celebrated in our culture, it's funded by our own government. Vileness is exalted and the poor are plundered. Okay, I, I may have offended you and that's okay. Let's zoom out from America. Look, Russia, the big bully Russia is plundering Ukraine, because they have the audacity to want to be free. Vileness is exalted. The poor and needy are plundered. 
The oppression of the poor is facilitated by our government. Sexual perversion and gender dysphoria is normalized by our media. And if we don't agree, how dare we? Greed is celebrated in politics, in sports, in media, in business. I'm reminded of a commercial from a few years ago. It was an E-Trade commercial. It just struck me as odd. It was a picture of a guy on his boat, and the, the narrator says, or the caption says, the dumbest guy in your high school class just bought a yacht. And I'm thinking, like, good for him. <laughs> like he, tur- he turned the tables. That's great. Who saw that coming? Wonderful. And the response is, don't get mad, get even. Get E-Trade. I mean, greed is just absolutely celebrated. I don't think I need to spend a whole lot more time telling you that here in our culture, we can commiserate with the psalmist who believes that the godly one is gone, the faithful have vanished, The godly are the minority. Men set themselves up as judges over God's word. The poor and needy are plundered. Vileness is exalted. So what do we do? Well, first we believe the promise. The promise in our text is that God will guard the righteous from uprising wickedness. Look at verse 5. I want you to hear the Lord's voice here in this text. Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Listen, beloved, God sees the injustice of the world and he will arise to action. God will place the oppressed in safety. Verse 7, God will guard the godly forever. How can we take God's promise as true here? Well, let's look at a proof. The proof offered by this psalm is his words in verse 6. God said it, we can trust it because God's words are pure words. God made a promise to deliver the oppressed. Brothers and sisters, he has done it and he will do it again. He has done it over and over and over throughout biblical and natural history. God has delivered the oppressed. God has settled the oppressed in a home. He's done it before. God delivered Hagar from the, his hate, her hateful master, Sarah. God delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt. And he let them plunder the Egyptians on their way out. God placed Ruth in a family under the care of a redeemer. God delivered David from the spear of the most powerful man in the known world. God set the slaves free in North America. God broke the bondage of Jim Crow laws. Hear me. God does deliver the oppressed. He has done it and he will keep on doing it because that is who he is and that's what he has said. The promise is he will deliver and the proof is his word is true. I'll try to prove it to you with a rapid fire succession of texts here. Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Or maybe Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That one didn't get you, so let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Ezekiel 12, 25, for I am the Lord. I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed. You probably have this one memorized. Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Beloved, you can trust that God will rise on behalf of the godly because he said he will. And his word is true. So what should we do? Probably have already given away the practice here. The practice is that we trust the Lord's sure word over the world's false word. Trust the Lord's sure word over the world's false word. Hear me, brothers and sisters. Don't you worry about rising wickedness. God will guard the righteous. Don't you give in to worldly pressure to discard God's word. God will uphold his word and his people. One of my favorite characters in all of church history is Martin Luther. Martin Luther was called before a council uh, for teaching the truth of God's word, for teaching the doctrine of justification by faith, that we are justified only by faith in Christ not in good works or what we can give. And he was called to recant his teachings and his testimony under the threat of death. And I want to read you his response. May this put steel in our spines. Unless I am convinced by sacred scripture or by evident reason, I cannot recant. For my conscience is held captive by the word of God. And to act against conscience is neither right nor safe. When the world preaches their false word that opposes the word of our one true God, to bind our consciences to the truth of a wicked world that they promote is neither right nor safe. May God forbid it. Trust in the sure word of our God. You can believe his word. He will be faithful to deliver on his promises. God is faithful even when evil seems unstoppable because his word is true. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. God is faithful even when he seems invisible. 
God is faithful even when you can't see him, even when you can't hear him, even when it feels like he's millions of miles away. Have you been here? Have you ever prayed a prayer like Psalm 13? How long, God? Have you ever soaked the carpet where you were kneeling because you're just ready for a breakthrough? Something's got to give. You ever been there? If you haven't, praise the Lord, you will. If you live long enough, you're going to bleed. And then what do we do? I think Psalm 13 is a great guide for us. Have you ever felt like you shouted your prayers into a black hole? Like no one's listening. You're crying out. You're pouring out your heart to God, but no one is on the other end of the line. Well, David knows your feelings well. I take great comfort in Psalm 13, great encouragement. David, this stalwart of our faith, one of the, I mean, God called him a man after his own heart, the most successful king in all of God's people's history, and he felt like this? He felt like God had abandoned him, like he couldn't break through? I'm reminded of the words of um, an early church father named Athanasius. He says, most of scripture speaks to us, but the Psalms speak for us. Um, you've probably heard my story before, but if not, uh, my wife went through cancer back in 2013, and uh, it was a dark season. I mean, obviously, 25 years old, you're not supposed to you're not supposed to walk through cancer, right? And during chemotherapy, it was there were some dark days, there were some dark moments, and well-meaning church members who I love and, and thankful for. They, they were praying for us, but every now and then we'd get advice that just wasn't all that helpful, you know? And one of the pieces was, you should go read Job. And I thought, okay, I'll do that. It's, it's God's word. It's got to be helpful, right? We know it's true. Well, I read Job. I got to tell you, it didn't help. It did not comfort my soul. I'm reading Job, and I'm going, I know, right? It's terrible out here. I see your suffering, man. I'm right there with you. Thankfully, I didn't have three idiot friends come and tell me all kinds of bad advice over and over. Well, the book of Job did not comfort my soul. It exacerbated my feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, but the Psalms, oh, the Psalms were a warm blanket my soul the psalms were a warm blanket for my soul why because of chapters like psalm 13 no matter how depressed david was and no matter how dire the situation his songs almost always end in triumphant hope that god will show himself faithful to his people that's the word i needed to hear oh all seems lost evil seems unstoppable god where are you triumphant hope God will be faithful to his people the promise here is that God will hear you and he will respond he will hear you and he will respond God acted on behalf of David over and over again and God acted on our behalf fast forward through the story God healed my wife from cancer we thought we couldn't have any children now we have two wonderful beloved little boys 
one of which drives us crazy every single day, but we love him with all our hearts. He's the best. Listen, I'm not saying that that's how your story is going to work out. I don't know. But I do know in those moments when you're shouting your prayers against the ceiling and you feel like God's a million miles away, he's right there with you. You can trust him. Trust in his steadfast love. Rejoice in your salvation, the psalmist says in verse 5. Sing to the Lord. Listen, for those of us um, who are, you know, shouldn't go on the, like, reality TV shows for singing, maybe you're adding to the suffering of the world if you sing. I get that. But, but if you are at all musical, I would encourage you, if you're walking through a dark season, sing it out. I stand with Martin Luther who said, when I cannot pray, I always sing. Listen, I, I, have, I have soaked many piano keys with my own tears. Worship your way through the pain. Trust in his steadfast love. God hears you. He will respond. How do I know? Where's the proof, Andrew? The proof is in verses 5 and 6. It's his works. It's the works of God. Read it again with me. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Why? Because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with me. The proof is his works. Verse 5, he has saved me already and he will continue to save me. Listen, if you're in Christ, even if all goes wrong, even if there's not one single blessing you can look to in your physical life, you can still rejoice that God has delivered your soul from eternal destruction. God has traded in your sin for his righteousness, and he's given you an eternal hope and a future. And if you can't rejoice in anything else, rejoice in your salvation. God has forgiven you when you did not deserve it. God has given you hope. But I'm sure of this. There's probably no one in this room that can look out over all their life and honestly say God has never dealt bountifully with them. God has blessed you probably more than you realize. David's proof is his works. What has God done? So what should our practice be? Our practice should be to trust in the steadfast love of our listening Lord. I would encourage you in dark moments, recite, recount God's faithfulness. What does the old hymn say? I, I won't sing it because that's Pastor Jake's move, but um, count your blessings. Name them one by one. That's actually really good spiritual practice. Sit down and, and make a list. Think back about when God has dealt bountifully with you. There's an old saying in the, in the black church. Won't he do it? And the, the call, that's the call. The answer is, yes, he will. And I'm here to ask you the question, hasn't he done it? Won't he do it? He will. Why? That's who he is. That's who he is. Our God is merciful and just and sovereign. He avenges the way he avenges. He, he, he pours out justice for the oppressed. He, he does more for you than you can possibly imagine. 
He has done more for you than you can possibly recount. You can trust him on the basis of his works. Recite God's faithfulness. I love the words of the old psalm, Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or God's people uh, hungry for bread. Have you ever seen the righteous forsaken? No. You might see the righteous forsake, but you've never seen the righteous forsaken. How do we know God will keep his word? Because he has. And he'll do it again. I'm reminded of another early church father named Polycarp. When he faced his accusers, he was about to be, <clears throat> he was about to be martyred for his faith. And he, he was offered the opportunity to, to recant. And here's what he said. 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Make a declaration in your soul, just like the psalmist here. My heart shall rejoice in my salvation. My God has dealt bountifully with me. How could I forsake him? He's never forsaken me before. God is faithful, beloved. That's all I want you to know this morning. God is faithful. Hasn't he been faithful to you? Won't he continue to be faithful to you? God is faithful when all seems lost, when evil seems unstoppable, when he seems invisible. It was Friday evening and all seemed lost. Evil seemed unstoppable and God had gone silent. The Romans and the Jews had conspired to kill the savior of the world. The sky went dark and the earth shook. Jesus hung motionless on a criminal's cross. The disciples' hope and their courage were gone. It sure looked like evil had won. It sure seemed like God had turned his face away from his son and from his followers. It was dark in Jerusalem. Until early Sunday morning, God lifted the darkness. God broke the silence and God stopped evil in its tracks. All hope had been briefly lost, but in the resurrected Christ, all hope was restored and renewed. Early Sunday morning, God delivered on all his promises. If he can conquer sin and death, beloved, he can handle the dark season that you're walking through. God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is merciful. God is just. And he has already defeated sin and death on your behalf. So all we need to do now is trust him. Do you trust him? In Christ, the character of God is revealed. In Christ, the word of God is incarnated, upheld, and fulfilled. In Christ, the works of God are made manifest and beloved, hear me, all of that has already been applied on your behalf. So here's the whole point of my sermon this morning. You can trust him. Let's pray. God, you are good. And you have done good. You have heard our prayers. You have dealt bountifully with us. You have 
provided salvation through the sacrificial death of your son. You have conquered sin and death and the grave through the resurrection. And you have blessed us more than we can possibly know. So God, as we suffer in this world, as we walk through darkness in this world, I pray that you would lift us up on wings like eagles. Help us to see that you are for us, not against us. You have already given us everything we need, and we can trust you. Pray this in your name.